Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Pagel here once again flying the ship solo as I wrap up our month of February, as I wrap up, I close up, lock, lock tight and seal up the vault. That is right, we are done with the vault for this month. We'll be heading on, a, we'll be heading on to a new month uh, tomorrow, actually the next day. Well, we'll be, we'll be getting started up with the, uh, with the next episode, and uh, I'll explain a little bit about that uh, here coming up. But I did just want to wrap up, uh, you know, get some final thoughts on the vault, and uh, just first to start by saying it was a lot of fun to go through these properties, go through, uh, you know, rewatch the thing. Um, you know, actually got me started on uh, on uh, on my annual rewatch of uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, um, and it was an absolute blast to talk about Dazed and Confused uh, with Rob Nugent, uh, hockey correspondent Rob Nugent. Um, also just great to see that movie again for the first time in several years. Uh, you know, you, you don't really, you, you know, just the things that, uh, as, as I've, as we mentioned in the discussion, just when you, when you have a movie that you see over the course of, you know, many decades or even just a few years, you know, uh, a couple handful of years in between watches, you pick up a lot of different things. And it was really great to watch this movie after, after probably, I want to say like six years, maybe five years last time I saw it, um, just kind of picking it up with fresh eyes and uh, picking it up in a much different frame of mind now than I did uh, five years ago, five, six years ago, whatever it was, and then certainly, um, uh, you know, seeing it very differently than, than I did when I was like 19 or 20. Um, so Dazed and Confused, that, that's uh, certainly on the list, I think, early, early contender for um, a best of episode next year, so that's for sure. But... Um, just doing a quick wrap up of episode instead of like a full blown episode because I felt like I just I really truly couldn't decide on a fourth, which we'll talk about here. Uh, it, it, we'll wrap up with the, those kind of closing thoughts. I really couldn't decide on a fourth, and I wanted to make, but I wanted to do if I was going to do a fourth episode, I wanted to have like the full blown kind of deep dive into it the way that we did everything else and really kind of dig into it. And because I was so indecisive. I just was sort of like, you know, I, whatever I do end up picking at this point in time, I'm not going to be able to get, um, I'm not going to be able to get as far into it as I like. Uh, I'm not going to be able to dig up clips and all kinds of other stuff that I wanted to do. So I, I felt like, you know what, three is good enough for now. But our first three entries into the vault, I think we did a very good job with Days to Confuse, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and The Thing. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think there needs needs to be a fourth episode right now. Uh, but in the future, certainly we'll be adding stuff to the vault as we go along. And that's kind of like the the, the crux of this uh, particular uh, little mini-sode here that we're doing. I just, like, so this is how it works on film spotting, right? The the idea that they have, uh, their, their exact, uh, well, the, the idea that we're copying. Um, their pantheon is, it's not like they have a month where they, you know, they have four or five episodes or whatever where they're just dedicated to talking about, things that they're going to put in the pantheon as being the greatest, the greatest, you know, greatest movies that they had seen. Um, they can be doing a review uh, for a movie that, that previously maybe neither of them, neither Camp, uh, Kepin R. Larson had seen previously. And it turns out in the course of the review that they really, really dug the movie. They really enjoy, you know, whatever aspect was it. And it turns out that this movie that they're reviewing for the first time becomes a pantheon movie. So it's something that, um, or it could even be a, a, a recent review of an older movie they'd seen previously, kind of like the same way I, I'd, you know, kind of the same way the, that I uh, just talked about Days of Confused, could be kind of a reevaluation of a movie, and it's like, oh shit, this movie's even better than I remember. 
But regardless, the on film spotting, the Pantheon isn't just like a one time or like a once a year kind of deal. Um, they you can you can introduce something to the pan. <clears throat> excuse me, they can introduce something to the Pantheon at any point in time, and so. I think that this best works the same way. That at any point in time we can say, "Hey, this turns out turns out that this movie or this TV show or this book when we when we uh, I know we're going to be doing books later this year. Um, this book could even be uh, something that we put into the pantheon as well. So it you know it could come you know there could be an episode next week that I feel like you know whatever I'm talking about is uh, excuse me I should say next month. Maybe I feel like I'm talking about something that uh, that deserves pantheon uh, that deserves a uh, vault consideration. But uh, probably unlikely it'll come out of next month simply because of the format. However, you never know. Um, so yeah, that's just that's how the vault's going to work. It's going to be something that you know down the road we hit a movie and it's just like, damn, this was this was just like too good. We have to um, you know we we have to put this in and to to kind of like uh, you know refresh the memory or you know whatever, uh, just kind of like I guess reemphasize what the vault is. It's not necessarily the best. Of something, right? I mean, like I, th- I think what we're what we're dealing with here are things that are already considered to be good, um, in some way, shape, or form. But we we're putting this in the vault for safekeeping as like an example for future pop culture goers, um, future pop culture enjoyers. I don't know, the, the, I don't know what the term is, but pop culture heads, I guess, um, for them to enjoy is because there had to be something about it, despite the kind of the general idea of it being good or high quality. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, as, as we pointed out with Dazed and Confused, something that we, like, we connected into a very specific, connect to in a very specific way. Um, uh, you know, it's a standout example of its genre or, or you know, or its medium, whatever. Um, you know, It's Always Sitting in Philadelphia is an absolute standout in the, you know, in the medium of TV. Um as mentioned previously, Days Confused is, you know, I'm sure there's, I'm sure other people have answers to this that are probably more, um, probably more well thought out or, you know, better critiqued in terms of the history of independent film. But, you know, Days and Confused to me is the best, if, if not one of, if not the best, one of the best independent films of all time. Um, so that kind of stuff, like it, it has to stand out in that sort of way um, to, for consideration of the vault. It doesn't necessarily have to be the best. Because I would argue that uh, you know, Days and Confused, as I, as I mentioned on the on the episode, Days of Confused is not necessarily on my Mount Rushmore of of movies, but it's something that like it's such a an unique and interesting artifact for so many reasons beyond beyond the ones we just listed here um, that it has to go in the vault. Um, the th- the thing is such a great movie for, again for a multitude of reasons, hitting all these all these unique sort of ways to to build a movie and tell a tell a horror story um especially a gruesome horror story and and hit all the special effects um it's just it has to go um in that, in that case that is absolutely one of my all-time favorite movies but it's also it just has to go in because it's such an interesting example of, of something of something that um has influenced movies for movies movies tv shows and everything else for years for you know for years to come since uh, since it first came out it's a mouthful right there so that's what we're looking for you know like to give you some more um, contemporary examples, um, and I don't think either of these I would well maybe the first example here I might put in the vault, but uh, maybe maybe collectively as a series here, whenever the series finishes actually. So like right now, um, Avatar might be something you would consider vault worthy. Is it the best movie of all time? No, of course not. 
but each time that Cameron has gone in to film these, so, you know, he filmed the first one in, what, 2006 and 7 and 8 or whatever it was, or maybe it was a two-year shoot in, in 7 and 8. Um, and then, <clears throat> you know, big break in between, but then he's really been shooting, um, you know, he's been shooting those, the, the, the current ones, that, the one that just came out and the one that's going to come out this year. Um, you know, he spent like six years shooting this and he waited to shoot those because this is the, the point I'm getting to each time that Cameron went to go shoot an avatar movie, he essentially had to create new technology for the movie itself. And the, these movies 100% are, it's really not even, it's not even, it's not even fair to say it's the gold standard or it set the bar for 3d movies, because I don't think if any other 3d movie has come anywhere close to what to how avatar uses its its 3d and how it does its immersive sort of um immersive sort of world um you know well every movie every especially big big budget movies go for visuals and stuff but this stuff is avatar is just on a different plane um than than a lot of other movies and correspondingly they cost um about as much as it costs to put together like i don't know like a like a fucking fighter jet i mean it's insane but Avatar as a series might be, um, and not not talking about the Last Airbender. I'm obviously again talking about the the James Cam- James Cameron movies. Might be something that you would think of uh, more contemporary as being vault worthy because of the massive leaps in technology that it took to to make these things. Um, Memento, uh, Christopher Nolan's Memento, um, you know, and his brother he wrote it, and I'm pretty sure his brother also helped write and produce it as well, but. Um, this sort of uh, this as as Nolan's you know his signature kind of uh, nonlinear uh, narrative storytelling, um, the the time bending the time bending kind of nature of of this, the way he tells stories even even within this like kind of a uh, different structure, um, you know we could even have stuff from different time periods and different uh, not necessarily time periods like in a huge way but like we're not seeing you know we're seeing we're seeing bits and pieces out of order, but it can even take place at a different point in time. But it, anyway, what I'm, all I'm saying is the way that Memento is this very intriguing layer cake, um, in which the villain, we're actually following uh, what would essentially be the, ostensibly be the villain uh, of the movie. We're following his narrative, his fractured narrative, narrative structure, uh, because of his memory loss. And it's, you know, so it's this signature, um, Nolan thing with the, you know, with the, with the time bending stuff. But then it adds to it another layer. You know, we're following the villain, and it's really just him sort of um, looping through this, um, looping through this series of self-deceptions to convince him that he is not the villain that he actually is. That he each each sort of encounter is sort of a way for him to sink deeper into his lie. So it's a um, you know. So we have the so we have the. Again, the time bending, uh, nonlinear story structure, storytelling structure, and then on top of it, there's a further sort of spiral of um, uh, of self deception going on. So, like Memento would be something that probably uh, you could put into consideration for uh, for the vault in terms of like a contemporary movie. So, or, or you know, more contemporary example. Um, so that's that's the kind of um, that's the kind of stuff that we're going to be looking for here, uh, you know, throughout the, as the year goes on and, you know, as long as this podcast runs, that's the kind of stuff we're going to be looking for to put in the vault. 
Um, and every time we do, we'll definitely take, uh, you know, we'll, we'll make note. We'll, we'll add that, uh, that something in the vault, you know, something has been added to the vault. But uh, I think we, I think we put everything, got out in a, a good, you know, put a good, uh, made a good first impression with the vault with uh, Days to Confuse, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and The Thing. All right, as is customary with an episode for The Vault, let's wrap it up with a top fiver. And as I alluded to before, um, I couldn't really make up my mind in terms of what I wanted to do for a fourth episode and didn't want to um, didn't want to water it down, essentially. I wanted to do it, wanted to do it right. Um, and, in, and actually, in the case of uh, this top five, I'm going to do here, a couple, at least one of them, but possibly even two of them, possibly in the top two, might require like two, you know, a two-parter, like a really, really deep dive into it to really kind of uh, investigate everything that I'm interested in with regard to those topics. So without further ado, these are my top five nominees for a future Vault episode. Number five, The X-Files. Man, I can't believe in all the times that, all the time that I've done this podcast that I haven't had like a, a, a single, a single episode that is dedicated completely to The X-Files. I am a X-Files super fan. I own several seasons on DVD. Yes, DVDs are still a thing. Um, highly recommend you get DVDs if you're that interested in a TV show because of the way um, the way that um, streamers license TV shows and things. You could, like an entire series that you would think would never be lost, could be lost and could be put into, uh, into uh, you know, a studio's proverbial vault of their own. Uh, but not for good reason, just because they're not going to make money off of it. So they hide it. Um, but, uh, so I've never had a, a full-blown conversation about the X-Files, talked about a few things here and there. I know I've mentioned a few episodes and things here and there, but I'm a huge, I am an X-Files super fan, uh, for sure. I've seen every single episode, um, uh, even watched the, the Lone Gunman spinoff. Uh, th- those were the, those were like the, the van full of conspiracy theorists that would help out Mulder from time to time, the little dorky guys that were just fucking great, um, uh, you know, obviously uh, stuck around and watched uh, most of the, not but all of the, um, the subsequent uh, recent seasons, you know, after they rebooted it um, almost, what, I guess it would have been like nine, ten years in between episodes, twelve, no, longer than that, like twelve years in between episodes or something like that. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, I kind of, I feel like I need to, um, man, I feel like that's, that's, you know, once I get through my "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" um, annual rewatch, I think um, I think I might part. I think I might try to stroll down. Uh, gosh, it's, it's got to be almost two hundred hours worth of uh, of X Files content to actually try to get through. But I might, tr- I might, I might put that into the rotation of things that I rewatch um, because I like it so much and I haven't seen it in a long time. And again, I haven't had, haven't somehow haven't had a discussion about it on this show. So I guess I'm the only one out there. My number four nominee for a future Vault episode. Believe it or not, I'm getting... These next two are going to be kind of interesting, but my number four, it's the Drake meme from from Hotline Bling that we've seen. And it would open up a, a larger discussion to memes, but also the fact that Drake is extremely memeable and extremely gifable. Um, if those are words, I don't know if they are. Probably They're probably going to be words soon enough. Um, but the Drake meme, you've seen it before. It's the... He's making the face, you know, he's making the, like the, ooh, no, that's no good face in the one slide. In the next slide, he's giving you the, the very proving finger point, like, yep, that's good. Um, from the, from his music video for Hotline Bling. And 
everyone on the planet has utilized that for something as a comparison and contra- as a compare and contrast. I know I used it previously for when I, I remember I remember I went through my um, when I went through my first uh, watch of Lost um, a few years ago, and uh, I I I did my 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 Drake meme, and at that point it was already like two years old, but uh, that meme was already not in in rotation, but it just seemed too it just seemed too perfect not to use. But my um, my Drake meme was um, uh, the disapproving kind of face was uh, Jim and Pam. And the approving, the approving finger point and smile was uh, Penny and Desmond from Lost, as as like the relationship that people, uh, you know, that, that that people should strive for versus what Jim and Pam have. Uh, those two passive aggressive bullies that are Jim and Pam. Uh, so the Drake meme would have been. I, I think this would have been a real, really fun episode to kind of dig into and kind of talk about meme culture in general, but certainly how certain ones seem to. You know, certain ones, obviously, like when you get a big celebrity like like someone like Drake, it, it, you know, it kind of seems like, oh, obviously. But there are ones that are even more famous from people who are not whatsoever uh, famous people. So it would have been an interesting kind of discussion to, to go down that, uh, talk about the Drake meme. So that's my number four. My number three, uh, current Instagram, but also real life artist. But uh, I, I'm Instagram is where I found him and where I enjoy most of his stuff. Uh, but uh, I'm talking about pop culture artist, pop artist, the Butcher Billy. Uh, he is, I believe, I believe he's Brazilian. Um, he does this fantastic, fantastic collision of pop art that's uh, very reminiscent of, um, it, you know, I, I think obviously everyone would probably go to Andy Warhol as like your sort of preeminent pop culture artist and pop artist. But uh, Butcher Billy does a great job with more modern uh, pop culture properties and blending them with um, blending them with it, in his own unique style with sort of this um, very often like a comic book look or one of my favorite one of my favorites was a, a series of songs songs that he did as sort of book covers in the style of Stephen King book covers. It was uh, they're called Stephen King Stranger Love Songs. Uh, and that's kind of like where I got introduced to him and uh, like immediately I like, just fell in love with his art. But this guy is very big time. In fact, he did for the last the last season of Stranger Things, he did individual episode art that um, that Netflix promoted for each episode. Um, his art is just it's eye catching. It's great. Um, highly, highly recommend you check out the Butcher Billy. But uh, for sure, um, this is a guy I think could. You know, in terms of representing sort of, um, I think of it like him representing sort of where the, um, I guess an artist that was, you know, again, he was a real art, he's a real artist in real life doing real art installations and stuff. But in terms of like how he got popular and how he got famous, one of the, one of the more recent examples, one of the, probably to me, one of the best examples, uh, in more recent times of someone who's, whose ability to leverage social media to draw attention to their artwork in a very profound way. Um, you know, it's, it, you could think about like someone like Banksy. Banksy was, you know, getting Banksy got, um, the, the artist Banksy got a much more, um, got all of his exposure, uh, via, you know, more traditional, um, media outlets, the news, um, uh, TV shows, movies, and things like that. Whereas someone like the Butcher Billy, obviously not doing the exact same thing whatsoever, um, but getting really, really kind of becoming an online sensation. So that would have been a really good discussion to have about how 
you know, there are there, there are other artists as well, but Butcher, the Butcher Billy is uh, one of the most notable ones in terms of, you know, his success um, and the way he's kind of broken through really is sort of 100% leveraging the power of social media. So that would be my number three. Now we're getting to our top two here. Uh, number two, the Madden video games. And I know a lot of people out there, I, I haven't played a Madden in quite a long time, actually. And I know a lot of people out there are probably kind of like, oh, Madden sucks now. It's, it's the same game over. Uh, yeah, 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 I get that. But what thinking about this more comprehensively than the latest installment, how the Madden video games changed sports video games like forever, how Madden, you know, arm in arm with football, with professional football, uh, has, you know, Madden helped change pro football, pro football helped change Madden. The, the video games made John Madden into a household name. Um, the Madden video games are just an absolute force of nature in terms of in the video gaming world. Um, when you think about how much money they generated, hype they've generated, the Madden tournaments that used to be televised on ESPN, and I'm sure they're still televised someplace. Um, you know, I think everyone in their friend group, in their fraternity, maybe even in their sorority, I don't know, uh, your girlfriend group, whatever, you've had a Madden tournament before. Everyone has done it before. Everyone knows, you know, when you talk about like certain in installments into Madden, like in particular, like 05 Madden was like one of the, is kind of heralded as like maybe the best ever Madden. Um, you know, and I want to say it's either 05 or it's 06 where you get, um, where you get unstoppable Michael Vick. Um, and there's like later Madden installments where there were, I think there was only one, you know, ranked 90 plus collective team in Madden. Um, you know, it's a big deal now when, when, uh, NFL players, if you follow NFL players on social media, either individually, um, or like I do, or if you follow them, you know, just like through the NFL accounts or whatever, um, it's a big deal when a player is uh, a Madden 99, meaning that they're a, you know, essentially a perfect player. They're a 99 rating. And it's a big deal with the players to get that 99 rating in Madden. So Madden has, like I said, Madden has changed football. Football has changed Madden. Um, they are just in, inextricably intertwined. Um, and really, you know, uh, it's it's a, you know, there's probably other video game properties you could, you could go to in terms of uh, putting them in the vault. But I think in terms of ones, I think in terms of a video game that has had such a profound and direct impact on another super large entity. I don't think there is another one that has had the same impact on, an, on another equally as big en entity as Madden has had on on the uh, on the sport of football, but specifically, um, you know, with the uh, with the National Football League. So there's my number two, the Madden video, the Madden football video games. So what is the number one here? This may or may not surprise you. I think this actually will surprise you because I very often kind of lament the current the current state of the current state of superhero movies in general superhero movies currently because they're not very good anymore um but also you know we're still like we're clearly at the complete ass end of the superhero hype train and yet we're still getting you know multiple shoved down our face every single year uh, the marvel machine doesn't stop dc i think is you know finally stopping uh but you know the, certainly the marvel machine isn't stopping anytime soon but my my number one nominee for a future vault episode is batman as a character as a character um and but also as a pop culture figure 
um, you know, what he represents as a I, literally. This is why I think that you could do a two parter on this. You could do one part as Batman the character, and all the in all the different you know the, the humble beginnings as you know as essentially like a mass detective. Um, to his evolution um, in the comic books as more, you know, the caped crusader and more of a, a vigilante, and then obviously the turns that um, that the character of Batman takes on TV, you know, the 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 schlocky, um, campy Adam West Batman that I still fucking love, and I th- I still think they should bring back in some capacity. Um, the the you no, know, then we have like the Batman animated series, and then the uh, obviously Tim Burton's Batman really brings it back in a huge way. Um, and then the animated series comes after that, but then, you know, Batman as, uh, you know, the Batman video games and the current iteration of Batman, but then you could also spin it around and, you know, Batman as this pop culture icon, the, what it means to have the, the bat symbol, the bat logo, uh, up on, you know, some visible someplace for you, uh, what Batman means to people who are very, to people who are, as someone who, you know, again, like I'm not like the biggest comic book guy, but I always enjoy the character of Batman uh, and, and I enjoy the I, I enjoy these very interesting thought exercises about Batman as sort of this like this because he is a human. He's a human being. We are more free as we are more free to kind of map our own um, our own experiences and our own sort of um, biases onto Batman Right. So like, you know, maybe someone has maybe someone is interested in Batman um, from a more uh, vigilante vengeance sort of um, more. Of a, maybe maybe they view uh, Batman as more of a, a figure of anger. Right. Um, whereas, you know, maybe people are more intrigued by the idea of this of this person, you know, willingly shunning um, an easy life, you could say. Uh, I mean, he's a billionaire. Right. Uh, millionaire or billionaire, depending on the uh, on, on which property you're talking about, which um, you know, but be it comic book or TV show or cartoon or whatever. But um, <clears throat> excuse me, but you know, someone who would voluntarily do all this dangerous shit, uh, risk their lives, almost die when they could be living a very comfortable life. You know, like why does someone do that? Um, so you you could have you know, what are the psychological reasons behind that? Um, what are the I, a point that I was trying to get to that I kind of fell in and out of my head there. I apologize, but also, you know, you know, Batman sort of as this representative of, um, you know, what's, what's really become an arms race, right? Like you can map this idea of, you know, we, I, I know I've talked about it in episodes years ago about how police stations are buying military surplus. So like police stations have fucking military vehicles and things and how you can look at Batman as sort of a, um, Batman and his tangle with various criminals is like this sort of arms race where, you know, Batman gets the Batmobile. So the Joker does this. The response is Batman gets a bigger and better weapon. And the response is all of his villains become more and more insidious. So just there's there are like so many there are two just that's just identifying two distinct tracks. I think you could take with Batman, but there's a whole bunch of other ones you could, too. Um, You know what the what the bat, you know, again, just how just how the Batman, you know, is perceived pop culturally, even by people who maybe aren't necessarily as invested in the character of Batman. And then obviously the character of Batman and how that's grown and changed over the years. But, you know, certain core tenets obviously had stayed the same and certain things have stayed the same. It'd be an opportunity to talk about the the late, great Kevin Conroy. Um, you know, it just, there's so much you could do with this. 
and I think we I, I would almost guarantee you that this will be an episode at some point in time but again just sort of as I'm even just talking this out I'm scratching the surface and I can I can vis, I can just feel that this could be two two full episodes that are approaching two and a half three hours each um, that's how much time you could dedicate to Batman and, and um, you know and what what a what a figure like that would mean for the vault. So I can almost guarantee you that we're going to be doing a Batman episode. Doesn't necessarily mean to be this year, um, but in the future, I would almost bookmark that as as being something that we do. So just a quick recap here: five to one, my top five nominees for a future vault episode: the X Files, the Drake meme, the Butcher Billy, and Madden, Madden video games, and coming in at number one. Batman as both a character and pop culture figure. So that is it for this episode. And that is it for the month of February. Um, that is it for the vault. This was a lot of fun, but we are moving on to moving on to March in the March of Minisodes. And um, you'll be getting an episode tomorrow. Um, you will be getting one episode tomorrow because it's almost kind of like a challenge uh, month. So, you know, in, in when we normally do the March of Minisodes, it's usually like maybe two or three episodes per week. We end up with like probably close, you know, somewhere between like eight and nine episodes basically over the course of the month. Um, well, I'm going to up that. So to be a true, to be a sort of a true challenge and a true March of Minisodes, I am going to, every weekday in March, you will be getting an episode. That is correct. Every weekday in March, you'll be getting an episode. So it starts March 1st is a Friday. So it starts tomorrow, it starts tomorrow, and we will get an episode. So it'll be twenty-one episodes uh, coming this March. Now I, I will say I'll get into more details here. It's not going to be like the daily episodes that I listen to. Um, you know, I listen to some sports podcasts daily, and I listen to some other entertainment podcasts daily. It's not going to be like those. I can tell you that right now. But you will have a new episode every single day. Every single weekday, we're not doing weekends, but every single weekday, you will have a new episode, um, a new mini-sode, uh, every single every single weekday in March. It's 21 days. There is an, another challenge aspect, which I'll get into it, um, but I'll get into that episode uh, tomorrow. We'll get we'll talk about it more tomorrow. Tomorrow will be like the full primer episode for what the entire month is going to be like. So th- again, that wraps it up. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. This past month was a lot of fun. Um, Hopefully we. Uh, hopefully next month is as fun. Um, I have a feeling there's gonna. I'm gonna reach a point where I'm will be more than happy to be done with March, but I also feel like it's probably gonna be kind of a fun um, little challenge for me as well. So again, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. We will catch you tomorrow. <laughs>